I want to begin this morning in the book of James. So I'd like for you to turn there. and Then we're going to go to some Psalms to read today that God has uh, just given me. This Today, I feel in my spirit this is a little bit different. Um, just talking to you as the church. As you're getting that ready, I want you to understand that beginning the last Sunday of this month... At 9 o'clock, we're going to begin an end-time series on Daniel and the book of Revelation. End-time studies, things that are going on in our world. That's 9 o'clock service. At the end of this month, we start that. It is very important to God that you confess. It's very important to Him that you do that. If we were just gathered this morning in a room paying honor to a, a historical figure, then we could just sit there and listen. It would, it would much be like a lecture of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln would not expect you to respond to them because they're dead and they're not here. But we sit this morning in the presence of the living God and he expects you to respond to him. He does not expect you to be a spectator. His presence will not allow that. God has demanded throughout history that when he speaks to somebody, he intends for that person to make a response to what he said. Whether you agree with it or you disagree with it, God wants something to happen in you As a result of you confronting or God confronting you with his presence. I understand that there might be any given time when we may not respond to God. Even though he's there. And even though he is speaking to us and he is confronting us. But we do not respond to him because we're unaware of God's presence. It's a very tragic way to live. It's a very dangerous life to not be aware of the presence of God. So even tomorrow when you're driving to work and God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he's there. He's speaking things to you. He is with you. He is communicating with you and he expects our response. But we typically don't do that when we're driving to work or, or, or maybe something that's going on in our Tuesday because it's just our business day and it's our work day and we're just overwhelmed with all of the things that we have to do. And we're not aware of God's presence But when you're aware of God's presence, he expects you to respond to him. And it's possible you can go to church and not be aware of the presence of God. And it doesn't mean that there are other people in the room who are unaware. There may be many who are very aware that God is there and God is speaking to me. And therefore, in faith, I am required to do something about that. Confession is to agree with God. That's what confession is. It is to say to God that you are right. What you're saying is true. What you're describing about me is right. What you are requiring of me, you are worthy of. And and so therefore, we respond to God with a confession. Many things that God would desire to do in our life do not occur because we do not confess or agree with God. And it's not that we disagree with God, but we're not agreeing with Him. 
Multitudes of people will sit in churches all across America agreeing with the truth, agreeing with the gospel in the sense of intellectually saying in their cells or in their heart, that's right. But the agreement or the confession that God wants is a response from our life. Something that actually happens. You see, God wants to do things in and through your life that are completely impossible for you to do. God wants, to have, God wants certain things to occur with you that apart from God, they're not going to happen. But it demands your confession with God. And I'll give you a perfect example. How can Mary have a baby without the power of God If she's never known a man, how is this going to happen? It is impossible for her to do that. But God confronts Mary and God says to her that you are highly favored of God. That's what the angel said. And God has chosen you and God has picked you out of all the women. You are the one that God has picked and the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. He is going to powerfully move upon your life and you are going to become pregnant with Jesus. And she said to the angel, how can this be seeing that I have never known a man? But she knew what God was telling her. She knew what the angel was saying. And the response was being waited upon. And Mary gives the response. Be it done unto me, according to your word, O Lord. She agreed with that. Like Ruth's response to Naomi, I have the choice to stay in Moab. But I choose, I confess that your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. That is the confession. That is the response of my life. She could have gone back to something else. But in our churches all over America, we listen without responding. It's like we're being given lectures about a historical figure rather than there's a living God in our midst that's giving us a word into our life that he fully expects to bring transformation in us, through us, to affect our world. And yet Christians everywhere give God no response. And it's certainly not a lack of preaching and it's not a lack of churches and it's not a lack of ministry that are going on in America, but America's being lost. The culture that is going on in America is becoming more anti-Christ. There's becoming less and less of a Christian worldview, even in church. We saw a statistic. I'll try to get it officially in the next couple of weeks, but Barna did a statistic. I think it was less than 12% of youth ministers believe the Bible is true and accurate. Or have a biblical worldview in their life. And and they're raising the future generation. And we wonder what is going on. Because we're just gathering information. Paul said to Timothy that in the last days. The characteristic of the people is. They're going to continually be learning. But they're never going to come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't you want to come to the knowledge of the truth? Don't you desire for the power of God to invade your life? 
Don't you desire for God to engage you in such a fashion that everything about your life changes by the supernatural power of God? And that doesn't happen because you sit under the word. It happens when you respond to the word of God through faith, and you say, God, that is true. That requirement of my life is right. I respond to you. I give that to you. Be it done to me according to your word. That's, that's, what, um, that's what Jonathan was saying when, when Michelle spoke. He said, let's respond to that. Let's respond to it so that God's work can be done in our life. I just want to take you through the book of James really quick. This is going to be a quick quick time through it. But in James verse 1 verse it says in James 1 verse 22 he says but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. So that's responding, right? W- would you consider verse 22 a response to the word of God or am I just making all of this up? So, so what, what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do is respond. Do the word. Do it. Do something about it. He says if we just hear the word and we don't do the word, we're like a man who looks at himself in the glass, in a mirror. He looks at himself and he goes his way and immediately he forgets what manner of man he was. I, I don't want that to happen to me. That happens all the time. I mean, think about it. How many sermons have you heard? You, you come and you listen to a message today, and you get in your car, and we don't do that word. We've heard it. We, we, we intellectually consented to it, but we don't do that word. And come Monday, maybe we're in a conversation. What would you do on Sunday? Well, I went to church. How was, it was wonderful. What, what did they preach about? Um, uh, we're, trying, we're trying to remember. Maybe it takes some of you to Thursday to forget. All right? But the fact of the matter is, if we're, not, if we're not doing that, we forget what manner of people we are. I, I, don't, I, I can't afford to let that happen to me because I'm a horrible person. I need the Word of God to work in my life. I need God to work in my life. In James chapter 2, he says in verse 14... <clears throat> What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. So there is something required of me in regards to responding to God. What, what good is it for me to bless somebody and tell them to be warm and they're freezing? It's cold right now. It's going to be cold this, this coming week. It's going to be in the, the teens and, and the 20s, you know. And you see some guy on the side of the road, some, some lady on the side of the road and they're hungry or they're cold and they're, they're going to be, you know, exposed to the elements. And we're, we're good Christians. The Lord bless you, you know. I, I, may you be warm and, and so forth like that. Or we could pull into CC's. We could buy them a hot cup, cup of coffee and maybe say, are you going to be here in an hour and going to bring you a blanket? 
I'm going to do something about this so, so that my faith can be expressed. This is the hour of expressing our faith in God, of doing the Word of God, which is absolutely transformational. So it's easy to say that we have it, but to demonstrate it back into James chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, He gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you need grace? How many of you need God's divine influence, God's, God's enablement in your life? Humble yourself. Just quit saying that you can do it. Quit saying you've got it figured out. Quit saying, God, this week, I'm, I'm going to really show you that I mean. Quit all of that pride. And just fall on your face before God and humble yourself at his feet. And he will give you grace. But he resists the proud. He resists that. Now, in this context, he says in verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. I mean, those aren't just words. To me, when, when I'm reading these words about... You know, humbling myself before God. When, when I'm reading a word in verse 7 about submit, I just see action word. I, I don't know about you, I see an action word. I, I don't see a word that says, you know, just this suggestion, you know. Hey, just, just rest and rely upon the fact that you said the sinner's prayer and you're born again and everything. No, it, 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 this is something that's active. I'm submitting myself to God in humility And another action word is, I'm resisting the devil. And I'm resisting the devil by submitting to God. And so this is this action word in my life. And he will flee from you. Draw near. Is that an action word? Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. God initiates it. Please understand, God initiates it. You can't draw near to somebody that's not there. That's why you can be going through your week totally oblivious to God, even though he's there. But because our hearts are not tuned to God and set up on God, we go through our week and we come to church and we're reminded about God and we're reminded about God's presence. But God has been so foreign to us throughout the whole week. His presence has been so foreign to us that we're uncomfortable in the presence of God. We're uncomfortable to submit ourselves to the Lord, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he draws near to me. But God God initiates it. And then God waits for your response. Because you can't draw near to something that's not there. So God puts himself there. God, for example, the Bible says where two or more gathered in his name, he is there in the midst of them. Okay, he's there. What do you do? Do you want an encounter with God? Or do you, I went to church and that was good enough for me. Or do I want an encounter with God? If I want an encounter with God and he's there, then I'm going to draw near to him. And when I draw near to God, what do I expect? He is going to draw near to me. So the invitation is laid out, but it's the action of faith that God is waiting upon to draw near to God. Not, Not attenders, not observers, but... 
worshipers of God, drawing near to God, submitting themselves to God, which is the way we resist the devil and the devil flees from us and we enter. Have you ever, have you ever just been so harassed by the devil? And you got into a worship service where people were drawn near to God and you just drew near to God. It, was, it, it might have been the hardest thing for you to do. You just drew near to God and all of a sudden you could just... You, you, I'm not even talking about feelings, but the presence of God was there and just peace just came over you. Because the word of God is true. The devil fled in the presence of God. And you're drawing near to the Lord and God is drawing near to you and... <clears throat> In this passage, it goes on and he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. All these action words. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. No, it's not talking about just being sorry for the sake of sorry. He's talking about don't pretend. Don't pretend. If your heart's breaking, come and lay at God's feet and let your heart break before God. If you're depressed, if you're overwhelmed, if you're struggling, if you're under an enormous amount of stress, don't pretend you're not. Come and lay at his feet and and lay it all out before God and let the Lord lift you up. He will really do it. <clears throat> Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Talks about all of these things that we have with relationship with one another. In James chapter 5, he says in verse 13, <clears throat> again, action. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him Call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall not, they they shall be forgiven him. Confessing your faults one to another, praying one for another that you may be healed. Isn't that, to me, that's just a beautiful church service. That's just a beautiful church service. It's just a, it's a beautiful place where people are responding to the presence of God. It's people who believe God is there and I'm going to draw near to God and I believe that God is drawing near to me and, and the peace of God is, is going to be there. The peace of God, the presence of God is going to give me rest in his presence and and if I'm sad and if I'm broken and if I'm hurting and I'm wounded and I feel like a, I can be all of that to God. I don't have to pretend. I don't, I don't have to fix myself. I'm in a body that, that is gracious and merciful and loving and they're, and they're not going to tear me apart because maybe I'm not walking on my mountaintops and I'm going around shouting that I'm this victorious. I can be, I can weep. I can weep before God in, in his presence and 
And somebody else can rejoice because they're authentically happy and somebody over here is sick and the person that's sick is going up to one of the pastors or a couple of the elders and saying, hey, I'm here this morning and I'm sick. Would you anoint me with oil? And they anoint with oil and they pray for one and there's healing and there's the the lifting of God. He's lifting his people up and there's all this activity and there's all the, the gifts of the Spirit moving What a beautiful church service. Man, 35,000 people sat for four plus hours in minus four degree weather last night to watch a football game. And they were cheering and they were shouting and they were yelling and they were having a blast. But the devil has turned God's church into a funeral of spectators and little to no involvement whatsoever. So I call upon the believer who recognizes the presence of God. Draw near to him. Be active in your faith. Respond to the Lord. That's why we have altars in this church. That's why we gather in these altars. That's why we come. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, let's go out unto him. Jesus said to the people, come to me. We just read in James, if his presence is there, draw near to him. It's not necessarily a physical location. All right? But, but it's, it's wherever you can be where you're drawing near. You're pressing into God. You're believing. You're taking hold of the Lord. And your faith is being demonstrated. Somebody around you is knowing they're having an encounter with God. They're having an encounter with God. The peace of God is coming upon them. And the joy of the Lord is lifting them up. They're having that that encounter. The altar service is so important to us. One of the chief things that I believe is absent that I saw 25, 30 years ago in Europe was the lack of an altar. And you saw the Pentecostal church dying. And you, and you even see the Pentecostal church in America dying because we have very little time for God. Because we have agendas. We've got things we've got to do. We've got things that, that have to happen. I cannot sit for an hour and a half in a, in a 70 degree building, let's say, you know, in, in comfortable chairs. I, I, dude, I just cannot sit there. This is just too long. But I'll sit in four degree, four below temperatures and watch a football or whatever it is that, that, that we love. And it's this desire to press into God, to be near to the Lord, to walk with the Lord. <clears throat> I desire God to speak to me today and I want to respond to God. Be it done unto me according to your word. <clears throat> I taught you this on Christmas morning, our Christmas service, that God speaks a new name to you. When God speaks a new name to you, he's not just speaking sweet little things about you. God's not speaking things like, hey, you know, the whole future's yours. You can do anything. You can be anything you want to be. No, that's not the way God, that's the way we might talk to people and our kids, you know, and all of that. You you can do anything. You can be anything. Just, you know, go go after it. Work hard. That's not how God speaks. God speaks to us. He speaks, when he speaks to us, his words are transformative. They change you from what you were into what you are. I'll give you this testimony about that. In in 
the time, there was a, there was a man, he was, he was paralyzed and he could not move, he could not walk. And so he had four friends that wanted to see him made whole. He could not get to Jesus, so they carried him on their bed, his bed, to where Jesus was. And the room was packed, and so they tore the roof off, right? And they lower the man down, and he's, he's there in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Rise up and walk. And the Pharisees and the doubters, they said, who is this that forgives sin? And Jesus, now listen to this. Jesus says, let me ask you something. Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? Which is easier, but that you might know that the Son of Man has power, rise up and walk. And, and understand this, if, if, if you recognize a, a crippling disease in somebody's life, you recognize somebody has been paralyzed their whole life, they have no muscle structure. They have no muscle memorization. They have never walked. They do not know how to walk. So when Jesus is speaking, he is not just saying words of encouragement. His words are transformative in that man's life. Because when Jesus speaks, rise up and walk, muscles are being built back. The education to walk is being restored to this man. And the ability to do something he cannot do. He is empowered by the word of God. That's, that's, that's what God's word does. That's what it did to Mary. That's what God's word will do to us if, if we will agree with that word. <clears throat> and let that word have its root and have its foundation in us. Now, I want to go, just if we can, to Psalms. Psalm 56. And Psalm 92. Just the humility to believe that God can speak over me and he can transform my life by his word. And I want to say yes to that word and I want to say do it God. And I want that God be it done unto me according to your word. Fifty-four years ago, his word came to me. When I was lost and going to hell because I was a thief. And he said, I will save you. And I said, Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And he saved me. 39 years ago, he asked the most unqualified person ever to be a minister. And I said, yes. Be it done to me according to your word, Lord. And that word started to work in my life, doing things in me that shocked me. I was one of the shyest people you will have ever met in your life. 
couple of years after that, the Lord said, this was 37 plus years ago, the Lord said, Carl and I were married. Three months later, the Lord said, I want you to start a church now. And I first said, this is crazy. No, there's a process. And the Lord was patient with me and he kept speaking that word over me. And I said, yes. And I've watched God do things through my life. I never dreamed were ever possible for me. They're not possible for me. They're not. I have no ability to do what I do. I have no strength to do what I do. I'm not a good man. I'm not good at any of these things. But he spoke to me. He transformed me. He's still speaking to me. Do you know what that means? He's still transforming me. He's still requiring more of me. He's still bringing me forward. I have taught this. I haven't said this in in many, many years, but I've said this to our church so many times before. Everything that has happened in my life is for what's about to happen tomorrow. Everything. I don't look at my life and say, wow, this is, you know, whatever, good, bad, pretty ugly. It's, this is my life, did the best I can. Now, you know, I just try to find some other people to kind of help take it over and make sure it keeps on running. No, I'm thinking, I'm just getting started here. I mean, I mean what, I'm, what I'm about to do tomorrow Could not have been possible if it wasn't for yesterday. If, if I didn't fight the lion and the bear, I would not have the confidence to fight Goliath. But because I watched God give me the strength to bend a bow of steel and beat the lion and the bear. What is this? He ain't so big. I've seen God. He was prepared because of his path. I feel that way about my own life. I believe that about you. I believe God's going to do something phenomenal in our world to eradicate atheism. I want to be a part of that. Revelation 6 is my reference. I'm not reading that today. We did earlier. Psalm 56, be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresses me. I know that. I know it every day. My eyes would daily swallow me. My enemies would daily swallow me up. For there are many that fight against me. O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. I know that. In God, I will praise his word. Action. In God, I have put my trust. Action. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Every day, they rest my words. And what that word means, rest my words, is they just, they attribute things to you that you didn't say. 
Well, Pastor Lee said this, and then I get word of it. I said, when did I ever say that? That's not what I believe. But they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity in thine anger? Cast down your people, O God. You tell my wanderings. Put thou my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry to you, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. I know that. I know that. I know what it is to cry to him. I know that he is for me. Some people say, well, that is an arrogant statement. I would just feel sorry for you that you can't say it. But draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you and you'll say it. You'll know. He'll sing his songs of deliverance over you. In God, I've put my trust. Or in verse 10, he says, in God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. Action. In God, I've put my trust. Action. I will not be afraid what men can do to me. Action. Your vows, your promises, your word is upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Will you not deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living? I know that. I really do. I know that. I know that he has brought me through so much. He will not forsake me now. And it may be hard. It may be dark. As Michelle was saying. Might not be able to see anything. I'm going to rest on the name of God. I know. He's going to keep my feet from falling. He delivers my soul from death. I know it. Your vows are upon me. I can only imagine David when his men are surrounding him. And they've got stones in his hands. And these are killers. These are 400 mighty men and and they're out there doing battle with David and they come home and their wives and their kids have been kidnapped from an enemy group of people and they're so mad at David that they pick up stones to kill David and David encourages himself in the Lord. Your vows are on me. I cannot die here. I will not die here. You have called me. You have purposed for me. You have a plan for me. You've spoken it to me. This can't happen. So he gets up and he rescues the wives and the children. Does the vow of God possess you like that? Is there something in your life that God has spoken to you and it governs your whole life? And it doesn't mean that there aren't challenges. It doesn't mean that there aren't bad days and good days. It doesn't mean that there aren't days that you wake up and you feel like you've got no faith and there's nothing that you'll ever do for God and God has taken his anointing from me and God is done with me and you go through all of those things that we all experience but something rises up in you. It's the vow of God and this vow is over my life. I know what God wants to do with my life. And I'm going to tell you something. You can march through a troop with that vow. You can leap over a wall with that vow. 
of God on your life? What has he spoken to? What is that word he spoke to you and you responded? And if you missed it, praise God, he'll speak it again. It might have been when you were 13 years old in a church service and God spoke to you and you did nothing about it because you were afraid if you went to an altar, what would your friends say? Or maybe you're too busy, or maybe you're too Baptist, or maybe you're too Methodist, or maybe you're too Pentecostal to respond to God the way God wants us to respond. So I sat there, and I listened, and I I heard it, and I intellectually consented to it, but I did not act on that word. And what I could have been pregnant with has not happened, but God will speak it again. Praise God. He'll speak it again, and now he can give birth in your life. And God begins to do it. The last psalm that I want to read is Psalm 92. And he says this. um, We're we're going to read verse 10 through 15. When I come to the psalms and I read about enemies and things like that, I, I just consider it to be Satan. You know, just to tear down Satan. Tear down his strongholds, wherever they may operate. We don't war against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. He says in verse 10, but my horn, which is my strength, you will exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I will be anointed with fresh oil. That word anointed or fresh oil means new and prosperous and flourishing. I'm going to be anointed with fresh oil. Anointed means I'm touched by God. I'm touched by God. When God touches something... It's forever changed. Forever changed. Mine eye also shall see my desire of my enemies, and my ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish. Listen to this. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Verse 12, they'll flourish. Verse 13, they're planted in the house of the Lord and they shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. And all of this anointing and all of this blessing and all of this flourishing is for this purpose. Don't don't miss the purpose. It's not for my next book or a TV engagement or some fame. It is to show that the Lord is upright. That's, the anointing of my life is to show that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in God. And, 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 and if, you, if you could say this morning, that's the anointing I want on my life. I, I want God to anoint me in such a way that people recognize that my God is the God. He's the rock of my life and he's righteous and he's true and he's good. And I want God to speak a word to me. That I can respond to and say, Lord, do that in my life. Speak that vow over me, God. And, and, and that would mean that if I am called upon in the next, this year or the years to come, where I might have to even suffer death for Jesus' sake. If I can know that that vow upon my life is that even in my death, I'm going to show to everyone my God is righteous and he is my rock. Then, Lord, let it be. Let it be God in my life. Now, this is David saying this. So just bear with me for just a minute more. It's not even 12. 
So, so this is David, and, and, and he's anointed of God. We, we know that. It's a no-brainer. Everybody knows David's anointed. But David is saying that God is going to give me a new anointing, a fresh anointing. God's going to touch me. And when God touches me, something is going to begin to happen in my life that was not happening. There's more. And I, I like to explain it this way. When David was young, he had a shepherd's anointing. He did not realize it, but God was teaching him how to shepherd Israel. And God, through the anointing that God had on David, put it in David's heart that if one lamb is taken away by a lion, you go kill that lion's son and you bring that lamb back. If, if, if he doesn't have that kind of God education, I would have probably just said, Dad, we lost a lamb today. A lion got it. But not David. He got it back. He got the lamb out of the teeth of the bear. He got it back. And you know what, you know what this is realizing in this anointing? That you care to put your life in jeopardy for a lamb in the mouth of a lion, then surely, David, you will risk it all for one Israelite. You're my king. Now, before you get to king, you have to move from shepherd to soldier. I have to give you a fresh anointing. And God anointed David with the anointing of a soldier. And David hardly realizes what's going on until he is faced with the situation where Goliath is standing in the valley and the children of Israel are too afraid to fight. They put another anointing on David. They put Saul's anointing on David. And David says, I can't move in this. Beloved, you can't move in your neighbor's anointing. You, you, you can't necessarily move in your closest friend's anointing. You can't move in my anointing. I can't move in your anointing. You have to know what's been proved to you. And David said, this has not been proven. But my sling and my God is enough. And David walked into that valley anointed by God to be able to take down Israel's enemy. In the name of God. He had a soldier's anointing on him. And then he would step into the role of king where he would need a fresh anointing to be the king of Israel. To lead the people. Now it's quite different each stage of life, right? When you're a shepherd, you care for your sheep. You keep them in line. You drive them, you move them. The biggest dangers you have probably faced, the most life-threatening dangers you will face are, are weather, inclement weather, and the wild beast. But we can prepare for the wild beast. They're not really educated. They stalk, they hunt, they're to be feared, but we can take care of the wild beast. But when I'm fighting another soldier who has been trained and he's a warrior and he has strategy and he's trying to catch me off guard, I need to be different in that kind of battle. And now I've got not wild beasts that are after me, but as a soldier, I've got guerrilla warfare. I've got Philistines. I've got enemies that are all strategizing. Everywhere I go, there are people lurking for my life. 
I mean, the lions and the bears, they fought. and They took sheep when they were hungry. These guys just want blood, David's blood, all the time. I have to walk with God. And then when you become king, well, it was easy when you were fighting Philistines. But now that when you're anointed king, you're fighting with your family. There's no safe place. You don't know who's with you. You don't know who's against you. Everyone is a potential enemy. David's increased anointing placed a demand upon Israel. Listen to me. When David was anointed, Israel cannot go through life the same. The anointing on David's life propelled Israel into a new lifestyle. His aggressiveness to fight for God and to deliver Israel would cause guerrilla warfare to begin to happen in various spots around Israel they had not previously occurred in. In other words... David not only needed a fresh anointing, Israel did. Israel has to walk with their king. They have to walk with David and what David is doing in their life. His family would even be in jeopardy. David took his mother and father and he took them to Moab. And he said to the king, when he went to the cave of Adullam, first of all, 400 people that were depressed and in debt and discontented in life, they all came around David. Who was depressed? He practically lost his testimony in the Philistine camp just a few days earlier. And so he's in the cave of Adullam sulking and God sends 400 miserable men to be around him and he just realized we can sit around here depressed for the rest of our life or we can, we can go do something for God. Let's go do something for God. And he raises them up. He takes his mom and dad to Moab. He says to the king of Moab, he says, you know what? Would you watch my parents? I've got enemies out there. Would you watch my parents until I see what God does with me? I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. But I'm not going to sit around. There's a vow in my life. There's a call in my life. There's a purpose in my life. God has anointed me to fight for him. God has anointed me to do things for him. And I've got to go do it with all of my might. Now I've got 400 guys that are around me. And God anointed these 400 men with David. David could not have accomplished what he accomplished were it not for the anointing on those 400 men. The significance and the capacity of what David did to provide for Israel and to protect Israel would never have been to that scale if it would have just been 10 men or 50 men. But God anointed 400 men and made them mighty. The Bible talks about some of these guys fighting platoons of men. One guy fighting a thousand men by himself and and, and prevailing against them. And then the Bible would say, because he was with David. That anointing in David's life was, was, was falling upon these men. And the exploits of these men were incredible because they were in league with David. And beloved, we are in league with Jesus. The greater David whose anointing falls upon our life touches us and moves us and compels us to be able to do great exploits for God. 
So there's no give up. We're moving forward. We're serving the king. We're fighting the battles of the Lord. We're coming against legalism and religion. Oppressiveness and abuse wherever we find it. We're coming to bring the balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we can possibly do it. And we're doing it together. A mandate is upon our life. A mandate from God is upon our life. God has touched us. God has anointed us. And God has touched us, I believe, with a fresh and flourishing anointing. A couple of weeks ago, in my upstairs at my house, in a little little place I sit and pray, I was praying. I had worship going, and I turned it off after a while, and I just sat there. I, I didn't have anything to say. I didn't feel like reading anything. I didn't feel like praying anything. I just said, Lord... Speak your word to me. And he did. And when you hear him, you never forget it. I love my church. And she's so abused. I'm coming soon for her and she's sleeping. She is bound under the crustiness of religion. I want to wake her. I want to wake her. I want to wake her. And I sat there, and his word changed me. And then all of a sudden, emails and texts and phone calls. Pastor Ship, our church is so overburdened with religion and bondage. Would you come spend a few days with us, please? And I'm thinking, who am I? We're a handful of people in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. One after another, every day, the request, please come, please come. We're dying over here. Pastor's calling me. I've, I, I, I literally almost committed the act of suicide. I can't take it anymore, Pastor Shim. Help me, please. What do you say? What do you do? That touch from God just begins to echo within your soul. And and all you can say is, Lord, Lord, do whatever it is that you want to do. I'm not leaving. But we're going more. I I, I would be a microscope. I I would be the part of the fingernail people cut off and throw away. That's, That's what my significance is, I feel like, with the body of Christ. But if that little fingernail can poke some part of that body and wake it up, I'm going to poke it. 
Whatever influence the Holy Spirit can bring into my life that will open the doors to freedom and liberty and the release from religious abuse and religious bondage, then God, be it done to me according to your word. But it's all of us. Do you hear me? It's all of us. He can't touch me and not you. It's all of us to keep our eyes upon Jesus. So I say this last thing to you. Please listen to this. If you hear anything, hear this. The anointing that was fresh on David's life caused him to flourish in the courts of the Lord. That's where he thrived. Not on thrones. Not in warfare. Not in the public light. Not in the business arena. But there in the presence of God. That anointing increased on his life. That brought him into greater intimacy with God himself. And he chased after God. And he grew in his prayers, and he grew in his worship, and he grew in his understanding of God. And with all of my heart, that's where I want us to flourish. I want us to flourish in the courts of the Lord. I want us to flourish in our prayer life, and in our worship life, and in our intimacy with God, and our communion with the Lord, and our love for one another, and our, our patience for one another, that the grace of God overwhelms us and strengthens us and gives us hope and gives us light. And we're like, wow, how exciting is this that God is going to use us in a greater capacity and he's going to send us and he's going to move through our life and we're going to be able to help the body of Christ and maybe in some way just to push it and it wakes up. So I responded. Life is challenging. It's hard. Most exciting thing I've ever known is walking with Jesus. I, I just want you to have this invitation to walk with him. I, I just extend to you on his behalf. He's here. And you can draw near. Or you can sit there and you can shake your head. Yeah. Or you can have a faith that acts and says, God, touch me. Touch me. So that the anointing on my life reveals to this generation that you are the righteous God and you are my rock. Touch me. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we get to join you, God, that we get to be a part of your work and your kingdom. Father, we thank you that it's not our perfection, not even close to it, Lord, but it's your touch on our life. Touch me, Jesus. Touch me, Jesus. I draw near to you, Jesus. Touch me. Anoint me, Lord. Speak your word into my life that transforms me, God. That does something with me, God. Changes me, God. 
Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord. In whatever capacity you desire to prepare the bride, to get the church ready, to speak to the world, to show the lost, Lord. Oh, God, give us mighty men and women who will flourish in the courts of the Lord, fastings and prayers and intercessions and worship, apprehending the truth, the capacities of power in the Holy Spirit. Oh, let us thrive in the courts of the Lord. Let us thrive in your presence, God. Let us be at home in your presence, God. Let us be aware of you, God, every day. Let us be aware of you throughout the day, God. Let us draw near to you continually because you're always there and you're always wanting to draw near to us. Let us be a responsive people, Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, there's not a one of us that doesn't sit and talk about how bad this world is. It's not one of us who doesn't imagine at some point, God, what are you going to do? When are you going to do something? But even now, Lord, you're wanting to touch us so that we can have our part. We're just a part of a greater touch.